Um, you know, I think that, you know, this is one of those week one, they're trying to get into a groove and Seattle always, Seattle's like the Patriots. They start the year a little slow and then they're going to, you know, they're going to click around week five and and we're going to go from there. Well, well, I hope they click because I need them on my parlay. I hit one last night, a five teamer and today I need the Giants, I need Seattle, I need Arizona tonight and we'll go with the Redskins tomorrow, but. Uh, already hit a five-team par this year. First time I did one, so pretty happy about that. Yeah, definitely could be a worse, uh, worse way to get everything going, huh? Yeah, I gotta make a little cash, but get that bank rolling up. But uh, we're gonna talk tonight about Ken Newton incident incident on Thursday. We're going to talk about how our teams fared yesterday. Look at Auburn. We're going to look at them. And, man, oh, man, what a week makes Jonathan. I, I know. We'll talk about it right in a second. Let me just ask you, were you impressed with the Auburn team you saw last night? Where the hell were they last week? <laughs> well, I when we talked a little bit last night about this, and I talked to Quinn a little bit last night about it, um, obviously, you know, you're playing Arkansas State at home. And, and that's one way to look at this is, oh, who cares? My response to that is, damn, that defense still looks good. And that offense looked a lot better. Yet you handed Sean the keys and said, you drive it. And, I mean, it was good from gold. He did a really good job last night. Everybody got involved. Karrion Johnson looked phenomenal. That's the Auburn offense everybody wants to see. So let's go ahead and just keep this positive juju rolling because they figured out a lot last night that I didn't know they could. Thank you. And I, I figured out I, I had a lot of questions answered. And everybody talks about Sean White, and I'll, I'll discuss that in a moment. But the biggest takeaway, I, t- I came away from that game with confidence is seeing Cameron Petaway, the running back we didn't see last week. I mean, looking at Kerry and Jonathan, he's a great back and everything, but can he handle that big load in the SEC was my question. We don't know yet, but seeing Petaway, seeing John Franklin the third run the football yesterday. Oh, man, my God, that guy's fast. Send the the grab from the freshman, the one handed grab that you saw, and you probably were like, "Holy crap!" I hope everybody uh-huh. saw that. Appreciate appreciated it. I mean, just the energy, the atmosphere. That one handed catch kind of turned the whole game, like the crowd, the energy. And uh, I just want to address something real quick. Sean White is a good passer. He's accurate and everything, but don't come to me right now and tell me that he's a running quarterback because he is not. It's easier to do what he did last night against Arkansas State, okay? I mean, look, we got 700-something yards. Arkansas State's an average team at best. They're a little below. They're not nickel state. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, you know, that's not going to be there against A&M and LSU and Bama. So, John Franklin the third, then getting him some valuable rest last night, Jonathan, was, was good because you couldn't pull Franklin out. I mean, you couldn't pull White out of the game while he was hot. You know, he was he was rolling. I mean, you can't take him out at that point. But seeing Franklin gain 60 yards on a couple of carries off the bat really, um, really gave me some positive momentum. But it's been a while since I felt good about a game. And Texas A&M rolls in next week. Auburn's a four-point favorite in that game, guys, just so everybody knows. Auburn's favorite over a big ranked A and M team and they're gonna destroy A and M. We'll we'll throw that out. Some big games we're gonna preview a little bit with Florida State Louisville. We'll talk about that one. But it was like it was a boring day of football yesterday, Jonathan, in college. Let's just go ahead and say it for and and be honest for the most part. It wasn't a great mm-hmm. Saturday, but 
I was very concerned after I saw the Oklahoma State game and and talked to you about it and everything. Why in the world did somebody not catch that, that you cannot do an untimed down on an offensive penalty and give Central Michigan a chance to win the game? I don't understand. You tell me why they can't overturn that right now and give the win to Oklahoma State because it's not like it's a judgment call or anything. This is a ruling. That play should have never happened, kind of like what Colorado and Nebraska that year or whatever it was. I can't remember the fifth down. Um, I mm. just don't understand why they allowed that to happen, Jonathan. It just upset me, and it makes me question the integrity of officials even more. Uh, I agree, and you know, it's funny that the fact that the officiating crew at the game today Oh, uh, yesterday was uh, Matt Crew, which is the conference that Central Michigan's in. Uh, that surprised me. That didn't get more airtime. I figured a lot more people would harp on the fact. Well, look, a Matt Crew gave a Mac team an advantage. Um, now, so you had the play by Oklahoma State, which Mike Gundy's an idiot. Whoever calls the offensive play, so I'm going to guess it's Gundy on that one. Mike Gundy's in it. You don't tell your quarterback to take a snap and just heave the ball out of bounds. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> are you a moron? Are you, are we sure your I2 level's high enough for you to drive? Should you be wearing a helmet at all times? That is the simplest play anybody can run. Your quarterback takes a snap, he runs around, gets out of the pocket, and, and spikes it. Right past the line of scrimmage, or he just flings it through the end zone. It's very simple. If your quarterback can't throw the ball through the end zone, you have bigger issues. But the fact that you tell him to just chuck it out of bounds and take the intentional grounding is idiotic because it puts your team in this situation where you get officials from a MAC conference who don't know what they're doing. You have Big 12 officials in the press box who fell asleep at the wheel. You have the rule book in front of you. You know something doesn't smell right, and you watch it happen. You let it happen. And that's what bothers me. And then afterwards... Oh, I would have lost my mind. And then afterwards you say, well, 1.33 says we cannot change a decision once the game is final. Well, nobody thought to change it right before you decided to blow the whistle. Everybody knew it right after the game. Oh, wait, we screwed up. That was a joke, and I'm smelling a fix. Well, I'm, I'm also, if I'm the coach of Oklahoma State, I'm standing at midfield. I'm not letting anybody snap anything. I'm, I'm going to talk to the officials or whatever Gundy is smart enough to realize that he should be. Some coach there on the sideline should have been smart enough to run out on the field, get a 15-yard flag, whatever they need to do, just to explain that, hey, this play should never happen or should never happen before it happens. I guarantee you, you and I would have been on the sideline. We would have caught that, right? I mean, I think so. I hope I would have. I hope I would have questioned that. But it's just Oklahoma State losing to Central Michigan. I mean, there's no excuse. Even that play, you still lost. I mean, you, you let Central Michigan close enough to to be in there with you. That's very disappointing if you're the Big 12 because I, if I remember, Trey was on there the other night. He had Oklahoma State in the playoff, didn't he? Yeah, and Oklahoma State was a very trendy pick. And people, you know, Oklahoma State went started, what, 10-0 last year and then got smoked in their last three games, 
It's a team that continuously, uh, every, you know, continuously every year they get overhyped. But the fact that nobody caught on that you a game cannot end on a defensive penalty. Defensive. There's a D in front of that. Awesome. It's a very important part. Exactly. How you gonna, you know, the game's going to keep going because of intentional grounding. If Oklahoma State was losing, the game would have ended. That's the best part. That's. It's just. It really upset me seeing that the officiating crew that night. But not only that, Thursday night. Let's go back to the NFL and let's talk NFL before we get deep into college. Uh, Cam Newton lost, and the Carolina Panthers had a 17-7 lead at Denver. Um, had a game in hand, and, and one thing I'm going to question is Carolina had the ball up 17-7 to at their own 42, I think it was. It was fourth down and a half a yard. Your defense is playing well. Why not go for it there? Well, they didn't. They punted. Denver drove the field, touchdown, cut it to three. Cam throws a pick. Denver gets the ball back, scores a touchdown. Now it's a dogfight. Now it's even – even more, but the one thing I walked away with, I was so angry after that game I couldn't even sleep, was watching Cam Newton take about seven shots to the head that nobody should be taking as a quarterback in the NFL, much less a, a running back or anybody else. And to have only one penalty thrown and it be an offset with an intentional grounding, somebody needs to get in here. Somebody needs to lose some jobs. You shouldn't be on the field officiating. Some of these Denver players need to be fined. Goodell needs to get the hell out, find a new officiating crew. Something needs to happen. I think a big lawsuit's coming. And once Cam Newton's career is over, he's going to come back to this time in his career where he was taking all these shots. And, and get this, Jonathan, as you read probably, there was not one protocol for concussion for Cam Newton after all those hits. Can you believe that? Not one time did they look at him when he couldn't even get up. They didn't even come and check on him. So something's going on, and it's, I think it's I think it's racist. I do. Well, you know, I know there's always going to be this issue with mobile quarterbacks of uh, when do they switch from quarterback to runner. Now, my response to that is anybody who takes a helmet to their cheek to their cheek or chin. Yeah, no, that that's not allowed. So I, I you know, the Stewart one was the one that was called. But um, they got Cam for intentional grounding because he couldn't get the – of course he couldn't get the ball back to the line of scrimmage. He took a helmet to his face. I mean, come on, y'all. Thank you. Um, The Brandon Marshall one was clearly – clearly he launched crown of his head – crown of his helmet to the underneath of Cam's head. That was a joke, too. Uh, The Von Miller – I know people are showing the Von Miller hit. I didn't think that one was was that bad because it was kind of – his face mask hit Cam's face mask. I'm like, look, at least he wasn't trying to steer him. But still, I mean, we saw him checking him on the sideline, and it looked like they were checking him for a back injury, which was understandable. There are a couple of plays where he, he got hit by a couple of defenders, and I imagine his back and his legs hurt the next day because, I mean, he got crunched. Um, but I, I do think that they – high and low at the same time. Yeah, and I, I think there's an issue with um, – with some protocol as far as that goes. But from what I understand, he passed four concussion tests after the game, which blew my mind um, because, I mean, he got wrong. This just goes into me saying Cam Newton's not human. He's like LeBron James. They're aliens. They're from that planet where the Monstars came from. 
Well, I think right now what you do now, and you know, he never once complained about it. He never once in the press conference. I think what you really did, if you're Denver, is you pissed off a sleeping giant. And I think Carolina is going to play with that chip on their shoulder, uh, back against the wall, world against us mentality. And I think Denver is going to head straight down because all it's going to take is a little film work for these defensive coordinators to zone zone in on this scrub from Denver and throwing these passes, and they're going to be at the bottom of the division. I'm telling you, it's not much longer. Uh, Denver is not going to make the playoffs this year. Carolina will. But when do you start looking at the officials and, like, if I'm a player of Carolina, if I'm Cam Newton, I could go up and punch him if he doesn't call it. I don't care to spend me for three games, 12, whatever. I'm going to make a point myself. And that's what it's going to come to. This quarterback's going to hit Tom Brady on the field the other day, getting hit like that. Oh, my God. Do you think that would ever happen? No, and we definitely we we talked about this uh, before with uh, with officials. You know, Tom Brady gets seized on, and it's a you know a thirty yard penalty, and they're threatening to eject the guy. Um, like I said, I think it's an issue with just mobile quarterbacks. I don't think it's I don't think there's anything racial behind it because we saw the same problems with Johnny Manziel and Tim Tebow, where they were like, well, when when's he? You know, you could just see confusion with the refs. Uh, because most of these guys haven't spent time at the college level, where at the college level they kind of have this figured out because everybody has a running quarterback. Um, so I think, I, I think I everything was racial. So I throw it in there, you know. I, I think an education process needs to happen. Um, I think new officials um, need to happen. I know that it's something that they're they're really hard uh, to not do, but I. I there was a clear-cut issue, and whoever's doing the concussion protocol obviously uh, needs to, you know, be taught, hey, this is how we actually do it. If a guy gets, you know, a helmet straight to the cheek and doesn't get up right away, you should probably stop the game and check on him. Hey, just so you know, that an officiating group we talked about a minute ago at Central Michigan game has been suspended for two weeks. And is that really enough? I mean – yeah, and two weeks, can you learn the rules of football? I don't think so. I see suspend <laughs> them for the year, the replay officials, and and, ev- and everything. And and one thing that's bothering me is the length of time it takes to overturn a call or look at the call. I'm sitting here watching Auburn fumble last night. The ball came out. There was no question about it. Seven minutes review to see. And I'm like, my God, if it takes you seven minutes to see if this was a fumble, then there's a problem. I just think that we're taking this instant replay way, way, way too far right now. And it's just taken away from the game. It takes momentum out of the game. I agree. I mean, you have somebody in the booth to look at all these replays before they even buzz it down. So he already has an idea of something that's going on. It's not the refs making calls anymore. It's that guy in the booth. So you're already like, oh, wait a minute. I've already seen this one or two times. Hold on. Takes me maybe a third time. Now I have noticed that on the replays it takes a little longer. They're trying to figure out the clock. They're trying to figure out where the ball is. So that needs to be cleaned up. Uh, I I want to say with the Washington State Boise State game last night, where I saw the officials throw a flag, and then they actually discussed the penalty. And I was like, okay, well I'm intrigued. What's going on here? And the official came back and said, we're picking up the flag because <laughs> of the rule. Dot dot dot. I went, wait a minute, he cited a rule because he knew what he was talking about. Where's that official? I like that guy. I want him doing the, the big-time games. That guy knows what he's doing. 
And then there's other games like, well, like Central Michigan, like Miami Duke, where they don't know. How about you let the official replay instead of, of somebody in Birmingham, Alabama that's not at the game in the environment or anything. And look, I I just think we're taking control, which is sometimes good. Don't get me wrong. There have been times where I'm like, these officials are crooked. We need something. That holds people accountable. I think sometimes we we go a little overboard with it. If if these officials, you don't trust them enough to let them, there's, then get rid of them, okay? I mean, it's the, – the Auburn game the other night when they overturned that call, I still don't understand it. How something can get overturned like that without indisputable evidence. I think, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on in football right now. But the officials need to be held accountable. Cam Newton, it's not fair that, you know, he has a family. He just had a son last year. He's got a like, I think he's married. I don't know. Maybe he's not. But anyway. I mean, you're going to cut his career short if you don't do something right now. And it's not fair to him, his family. It's not fair to football fans because Cam Newton is the best player in the NFL. I don't care what anybody says. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. And they need him. So why would the NFL not protect something so valuable like Russell Wilson, I mean, he's better than what he's playing today. Why don't you protect the faces of him for the future? There's not many more left. Why not protect Russell Wilson and Cam Newton right now? Not let them get killed. It's like a minute ago, Russell Wilson nailed in the back. They threw the flag. That would have been Cam. He would never have gotten the flag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that the officials, you know, I mean, because obviously they protect guys like Brady and, uh, and Manning because they were faces of the league. And uh, Cam's definitely, I believe, a face of the league now. Um, and, and I think officials need to make sure that they do make the right call situation. I mean, we also saw in that same game where a defender deliberately went helmet right to Kelvin's knees when he jumped to catch the yep. ball. And I think that cannot be allowed. Technically, that's legal in the rule book. But to me, that's, you know, and if the NFL doesn't do targeting, that's targeting me. You can't do that. He literally went to take out a guy's knees because he could. And I think that's an issue. And I, I, I think I think that there needs to be an education with this and how to play football. And it doesn't make any sense to me how you have professionals in the NFL who don't think twice about ending somebody else's career. That bothers me a lot. In that game the other night, remember how I told you, like, people were like, Carolina, Sonny and Cuervo were telling me it's a blowout, Carolina. And I, I think we talked about it on air. That line's an issue to me. Carolina should be a bigger favorite than that. And it's just weird how the over-under was like 41.5 or 40.5, and they hit at 41, and the kicker missed the field goal, so no more points were added. And I, I just think that game was fishy. I look at the point spread of the game, and there are fishy games out there, trust me. Um, but I think Kelvin Benjamin, you bring him up, he got nailed so hard that it looked like he got a sword to his back. He fell on his knees, and you knew, you knew he was hurting by looking at him. But what I saw, too, is in, like, Carolina, get them off that – get them out of that game right now. Look 15 games beyond. Having Kelvin Benjamin back is going to be dangerous in this NFL because he is – He's too big to be a receiver, man. He's just a big man and strong, and he can go deep, and it's going to make everybody around those guys, the Carolina Panthers, better and better and better as a, as weeks go on. I was impressed with their defense, too. Carolina had a great showing on defense, even though they gave up a 
couple of touchdowns there in the fourth quarter. I still think all around Carolina is the better team. Wouldn't you agree they're better than Denver? Yeah, I thought Denver would win a uh, a contested game. I mean, Carolina would win a contested game because Denver's defense, I felt, would keep them in it. Um, and Denver's defense obviously did not disappoint. And you're right, Kelvin is a phenomenal receiver. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, he's just so big and so strong, and he's got speed. He's got good hands. I I think he's he he's really 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 awesome. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm watching I, how to how to throw a football game right now, Seattle. If you want to show me how you're point shaving and throwing a game, watch Seattle Miami right now. Watch Russell Wilson. He looks like a retarded quarterback. Somebody, I think his knee was down, but uh, anyway, he threw a ball, just threw it at a running back behind him, fumbled it, and they got it back. I've never Russell Wilson looks terrible today. I'm sorry to get off topic, but that's why I like doing these games towards the end of the second half right here, watching these games. Russell Wilson looks stupid. Excuse my language earlier about the R word, but that was just terrible by Seattle. Man, they look god-awful. They're, they're the worst team I've seen so far in week one in Seattle. And that's in a lot. I've seen a lot of bad teams today, but Seattle by far is the worst. Yeah, I mean, the Minnesota offensively did not look pretty, and uh, if their defense didn't have what? two scores, um, I don't the think Vi- the Vikings... The Vikings, man, are for real. They're for real, man. Get used to it. Oh, I, I think defensively, Minnesota <laughs> is defensively. by far uh, superior to a lot of teams. I love their defense. Uh, offensively, they look a little rough today, and I don't, I don't think those problems are going to be fixed anytime soon with either quarterback that they're going to play. Uh, uh, but I, I honestly, watching their defense, and I know it was against Tennessee, who obviously is a a pretty bad team. Um, considering they drafted, what, top five? Well, they would have drafted top five last year, but they traded their pick. Um, you know, Tennessee's not a quality team. Mariota's still learning, uh, which, you know, it's nice to see him improve some. Uh, but, you know, I think Minnesota's defense, my goodness, that is a defense that uh, I think you could um, you could put on any team and it makes them an instant contender if you have a, a competent offense. And that's why I'm telling you, and I know you and I disagree, and – Maybe you know, some other people disagree, but I think Bradford coming to that team will add. That's why they brought in Bradford, because they realize what they had. Maybe he's not ready just at week one, but they're going to have to have him in order to make the playoffs. If, if Sam Bradford comes in and doesn't play well, you can't make it through a 17-game a schedule with defense you know, and expect to make the playoffs, right? I mean, that's just the way I look at it. You have to – there'll be something uh, – Denver. Else. Uh, yeah, and, I and mean, Denver, and, and I'm and I'm telling you, Denver and Minnesota will be the same if Bradford doesn't play. That's why Minnesota had to go out and make that trade. Yeah, they gave up a first rounder, but really, what is a first rounder? It depends on how bad your team is. I mean, like or well, what, where you're getting a pick at. But Minnesota knows that. Look at this: if they if they finish, if they kept that guy in, they'd probably finish around 500, be in the middle of the pack. Yeah, you can get a pretty good player, but. They want to win now. Adrian Peterson's not getting any younger, and that's why I think they made that deal. I think that's why they made the trade, to be honest with you. They wanted to, I, to get in there and, and compete. That's the only reason I can think of. I still don't think Minnesota wins more than eight games. 
I, I, I don't like Bradford. I don't think he's a good quality quarterback. Bradford is like Mark Sanchez to me. Yeah, well, he can win. You know, he, he can, you know, help the team to victories, but he's not going to lead a team to victories. Um, you know, Mark, Mark, uh, Sam Bradford is, is not a, a quarterback who I believe can really change uh, many things. Give him a first-round pick, especially uh, in the draft that's coming up. I mean, you, you're looking at maybe they could have added uh, some more talent um, on either side of the ball or even the way this, you know, this draft is uh, is shaping. I mean, you could have traded that pick and let somebody take a quarterback the way as many quarterbacks look like might come out this year. You could have added another running back yeah. to complement Peterson. I, I just think trading a first-round pick that's going to be in the top 20 um, is, is foolish for a uh, for, Sa- for Sam. Yeah, you're saying you're saying you're saying go out there and uh, and I see your point. Um, you go out there and get what's available right now for hardly nothing instead of getting a first and a third. Because I will tell you the tricky part of this trade wasn't just the first-round pick; it was the third-round pick too, right? So they gave up. Two picks mm-hmm. for next year's draft, which seems to be loaded. This draft, from what I'm hearing, is going to be loaded. So you'll get your second pick, but I know, I know, it's it's a tough one, and we won't know until until you know a year or two what what's going to happen. Miami's down first and goal in, at the five on Seattle. That parlay doesn't look good. You bastards. You bastards. <laughs> but once they pick it off and run it back. But one thing about Seattle, they can always pick it off and go to the end zone. They can always do something crazy. That's how Seattle does. But you're right. Seattle struggles early in the season. I should have remembered that. I should have asked you or somebody. But uh, I'll still take my five-team right hit. I hit yesterday. I'm not going to go away from that. Well, let's go through a couple of the games today. Let's see. Tampa. Winston with four touchdowns, looking good, man. And, and people still laugh about that second-round pick because they spit on a kicker. But I think a lot of these games they plan to be in are going to be close, and they want to make sure that they have a kicker, right? I mean, it's not rocket science. They want to make sure they get – they can help. They take care of Atlanta. Matt um, Ryan, I'm sorry. The Falcons, you're going to be good as long as you can't run the football. <laughs> And you can't play defense, but Winston Field day to day the top back to me in fantasy week one. Um on your back, I've got to give that kind of talk about Winston. Uh yeah, I mean I, I love the way the Bucks played. Uh very happy, very impressed with uh, their performance. Uh play of the game was Charles Sims right for halftime, catches a little underneath route, jukes out four or five Atlanta defenders. Uh, and then uh, spins away from another and scores. And that really turned the tide in the game. Uh, the defense showed up when we needed to. And, you know, the whole point of the Aguayo pick was if you watched the Bucks last year, you saw how many games they lost because they didn't have a kicker. And, uh, it, you know, it just goes to show, you know, people are going to think they they reached and everything. But he he seems to have turned it around. He made all five, four extra points today, nailed a field goal. Um, you know, so, so far so good. I know he looked rough in the first two preseason games, but you saw in the third and fourth one him turn around a little. Uh, this Bucks team, I'm expecting uh, good things from this year. I'm uh, I'm very optimistic. No, Miami nailed the – oh, they missed it. Yes, Miami got to miss the field goal, and I'm still alive. I'm still alive. It's 41 <laughs> left. Hanging around. I'm hanging around. So, 
Um, very impressed with the thing with Kansas City. I have to be honest with you. And when you get down like a division opponent and you're able to come in there and come back and win, I mean, you got to be excited to Kansas City. I don't think they're a, a team that's going to make it really first round of playoffs, but you got to like to get down that much to a good San Diego team. They're very unpredictable to come back and win. I think it would have been detrimental to the Chiefs had they lost that game, but winning it, I think it really helped them out. Chargers, where do they go here, Jonathan? That's a tough one to swallow after being up like that on the road. Yeah, I mean, you're up 24-3 to on uh, on a team that everybody thinks is a playoff team. Uh, could easily be the best team in the division uh, in their house, and you just choke it away. Obviously, it's a tough game to lose, especially when you lose your best uh, receiver in Keenan Allen. He tore his ACL today. He's going to be done for the year. Uh, I think it's for the Chargers. You just not much you can do. You're going to have to kind of roll with this, uh, you know, see, see how everything goes. But this is a Chargers team that I, I, myself and I think a lot of other people uh, predicted to finish last in their division and, and be the worst team in that division. And, and they showed today, um, you know, why, why that is. Uh, you know, for somebody, though, that had a bright spot for them, Melvin Gordon scored two touchdowns today. That's somebody who had zero last year, their first-round pick. He looked very good today. Uh, that's definitely something that's trending upward for them. Is that Melvin Gordon uh, had a uh, had a pretty good game? And let's let's talk. You talk about some great days. Let's let's talk about your Heisman Trophy winning your boy Derrick Henry. I mean, what a day he had. I mean, his NFL debut. You know, I mean, how could you not be impressed with five carries for three yards? I mean, how? How did you stop, stop and be amazed at the at the wonderful Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans? I mean, weren't you impressed with those three yards he got? I mean, I was. I mean, I, I think I've never seen a running back work harder for three yards in my life. But you know, when you when you come from steroid U to the NFL, you got to play on your own. And oh, Henry, he, I don't know about him, but it's a trend these Alabama running backs have. Jonathan, they're not very good. And uh, I think it was five carries for three yards. Tell me if I'm wrong, but that's terrible. That's just piss poor terrible right there. He'll he'll break in slowly. Uh, I'm not ready to kill him just yet going up against the defense that you knew was just going to stack the box to stop the run uh, because Mariota really hasn't – well, it's not even really Mariota's more – they don't have any proven receivers that are threats. Tajay Sharp is a rookie um, who, who started on the outside. Andre Johnson is not making the impact that people thought he would. Uh, so, you know, I, DeMarco I Murray had a good game. I, I, I know. I and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look good. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm just going to go with, hey, it's his first professional game. Maybe he had jitters, and let's see how it goes from there. DeMarco Murray had a, had a good game. Uh, for for the Titans, and that's that's definitely a uh, a welcome sign after his struggles in Philadelphia last year. Maybe it was the uh, the play the play calling and the play style, and not just and not Demarco. Well, I wish he'd have played that way against Auburn last year instead of carrying it forty times for five hundred and eighty yards. You know, I wish he could have uh, played that way, but but he didn't, and it's over with. The Bears go down twenty three to fourteen. Shock shock. Um, I'm surprised they scored 14 points, to be honest with you. 
The Bears looking looking not looking good. Right now Dallas up sixteen thirteen on the Giants. The Colts coming back twenty one eighteen right now with the Detroit Lions. Tonight's game, Jonathan, Arizona, New England. I think it's a route. Brokowski not in there. I just don't see a way that New England's gonna be able to generate points against that defense. And let's not forget Arizona has a very potent offense as well. Being on the road, it's gonna it's gonna get to New England. I just don't see any way they win this game. Uh, I agree. I like Carolina. Uh, not Carolina. Goodness, I like Arizona to win as <laughs> I know well. You love Carolina. I know you. Love <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no, I uh, I like uh, Arizona to win as well. I think uh, their defense is gonna have a pretty good showing in Garoppolo's first regular season start. It's actually the first time somebody other than Brady has started at quarterback. Uh, for uh, the Patriots since Matt Castle in 2008. So uh, this will definitely be uh, a new experiment for that team. And I want to say since Gronkowski has been drafted by the Patriots, they've run 96 plays where either him or Brady haven't been on the field. It's going to be interesting to watch the whole game without either one. Um, I, I, I agree, though. I think the Cardinals' defense winds up being too much uh, for why, the Patriots' offense. Why is Gronkowski, Gronkowski always hurt? I mean – Man, what a candy ass. I mean, I wouldn't want him on my team. He never plays. Well, it just seems like well, he's always hurt. He, I, you know, I don't want to insinuate it. I mean, obviously he's proven to be injury prone, and, and that's usually um, with somebody that big and, and, and that size, it's usually an indicator of possible uh, steroid use and things of that nature. Steroid. But, uh, but yeah. I, I think, I think, um, I think Gronk, I want to say it was a hammy injury that kept him out. And those, being a Florida State fan and watching Dalvin go through that last year, it's such a tough injury. The only way to uh, to really heal that is, is to not play and to rest. So uh, we'll see if Gronk can come back next week. Um, it, uh, I know, it's just, it's he needs to rest. Oh, well, yeah, he does. Cowboys up. Cowboys up 19-13 on the Giants. Setting up well for a 20-19 Giants victory in this game, it looks like. But we'll see about that. Well, let's get on to what we do best: college football. And uh, got to give you got to tip your hat to. I don't know how they do this every year, but Arkansas comes out looking like hot garbage. First game of the year against South Alabama or uh, against Louisiana Tech wins that one twenty-one twenty. They go to TCU, and Kenny Thrill or whatever you call him didn't get the job done. Arkansas takes care of business. Wins on the road in overtime, which I think that was a big win for Arkansas right there. That might get them rolling. That was probably the best game of the day. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was uh, an excellent game. Uh, you saw Arkansas take themselves a 13-point lead going into the fourth quarter. And they give it up. They're down by eight. Uh, Kenny Trell gets a, an idiotic penalty after scoring uh, the, the, the touchdown to put them up. Um, they kick off from the 20. Arkansas drives length of the field, scores, and then the Jets, the Jets sweep reverse pass to the quarterback for the two-point conversion that Arkansas always runs, by the way. So this shouldn't be something that nobody's prepared for. That seems to be the most common two-point play, and they hit it. It goes into multiple overtimes, leave it to Joe Tessitore to call back-to-back double overtime games to start his season. That that was fantastic. Uh, for TCU, a lot of questions on defense. Got to question the maturity of Kenny Trill. 
for Arkansas, you showed you, you, you got up early, you choked, you came back and won. It showed some grit. Obviously, some coaching flaws, some defensive flaws. Uh, we'll see how they progress for the rest of the year. In Kansas, I know we don't talk about Kansas much on this show, but they beat a high school team last year or last week and stormed up the field. And this week, they they lose Ohio, seven to twenty-one on their home field. Just want to throw that out there. How bad Kansas is? Just have to throw that out there. And that's another good team was Pittsburgh, Penn State, Pittsburgh uh, beat Penn State forty-two thirty-nine. Look, they're doing man. Started out by 14 to nothing against Virginia Tech. I know Tennessee fans were in panic, but once they settled in, you could just tell Tennessee was just a dominant team. I still think they're playing things way too close to the best. I don't, I don't like their play calling. It's very predictable. I think Tennessee's going to have to improve a little bit offensively before they get into the SEC play. Uh, it's going to be tough because – Dobbs is just not doing a good job throwing the ball down the field, Jonathan. It could be offensive line related. We've been saying that every year. But eventually he's going to start having to throw the ball vertically. And I don't know if he can. Do you do you think he can throw it consistently vertically? It's just hard to tell. No, I'm not sold on Dobbs the passer. And I don't think the coaching staff is either. They're trying to limit uh, his um, throwing attempts. Um, but we saw last night Tennessee's defense came out, um, and after getting punched in the mouth early, they, they played really well after the first quarter. Um, they forced five fumbles, I believe it was, recovered five. I know they at least recovered five fumbles. Virginia Tech obviously is going to be teaching ball security all week, because that's inexcusable. But Tennessee responded really well, but put up 45 points after being down 14 nothing. Um, I don't think it's time to panic yet uh, in Knoxville but it's also not time to overreact to this game. I think Tennessee got better from week one to two. I think they had a hangover down of that first quarter. It's a big game. And I think Tennessee's going to win the East still, I'm telling you. I watched Georgia yesterday against Nichols State barely hold on and survive. And I don't know if you saw that uh, they called a, a fumble on, on Nichols. He threw the ball, and they called a fumble. His arms going forward, the ball down. I don't know if you saw that Georgia picked it up and went in for six, or that game might have been it might have been a different story today. But there's no way you can tell me that Georgia only dropped a couple of places in the polls where where Tennessee dropped nine places beating Appalachian State, a team that won eleven games last year. So what's going on with these posters? What makes you think Georgia's even close to a top ten team right now, Jonathan? They suck. Yeah, I saw Georgia fell from nine to sixteen, and uh, that uh, that's definitely something that caught my eye because they dropped seven spots. I also still. Oh, I think they, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't think they fell that far. My bad. I thought they only fell on the coaches' poll. It was they fell three places. Oh, who cares about coaches' poll? But. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, Georgia fell from 9 to 16. I thought that was appropriate considering that, honestly, they struggled yesterday, and quarterback play is going to be the issue going forward. They could not get a consistent uh, play yesterday from either quarterback. They took their opponent very lightly. That was obvious. Um, and Nichols State has talent. There's no doubt about it. That, that seems to be a school that a lot of JUCO kids wind up transferring to. As we saw from last chance you, one of the bigger players from Nichols was, uh, was Ollie. And he had himself a heck of a day. Uh, so I think going forward, though, Georgia's got to find consistent quarterback play. They got to get Easton up to speed. 
uh, and really get him rolling or else, you know, that this is a team that could still win 10 games, but they're not going to win the SEC East. Yeah, Auburn's creeping in. I mean, they're not creeping in. They're, they're winning away from A&M to being ranked, and I could care less if they're ranked or not. They got seven votes in the poll and the AP and the coaches. Um, they have to be in vote, but it doesn't matter where you're ranked right now. It matters, you know, what you're what you're doing from here on out when that committee comes out. But I just – Georgia right now being ranked where they are concerns me. I just don't think they're there. Um, I'm just looking at some prize. Clemson dropped, and they shouldn't have dropped. Playing Troy the way they did. They look like crap. But here's my problem. Clemson's played Auburn on the road, and they played Troy, which is not a terrible team. But Ohio State jumped them because they played two high school teams. That's what I don't like. And Michigan jumped them, playing two high school teams. Yeah, they look good against those high school teams, but, but come on. I mean, Clemson, a, a new game after a big game on the road at night against Auburn, you knew a letdown was coming, and uh, that's what we saw. Well, I mean, uh, Ohio State is, is – everybody's looking at them going, that team is really doing well, and uh, clearly they're, they're an excellent team the way they're just rolling people right now. Uh, same with Michigan. Michigan played really well yesterday. Uh, it's two weeks in a row. Um, and Michigan has played two opponents that I believe are better than Troy, uh, which, I, you know, and they dominate them. And I, I think that factors into it. Clemson had a terrible game yesterday. Um, let me just go into it. Ray Ray McLeod from Sickles High School in Tampa, Florida, kid not that far from uh, where I grew up, inexplicably drops the ball on the one-yard line on a punt return. Son, come on, man. Really? You're going to do that? You finally get to play, and you drop the ball on the one-yard line so you can show off. That That is inexcusable. Heads up by the Troy guy to recover, to pick that ball up, or else Clemson would have had the ball on the one. Um, Troy yep. had a fumble return for a touchdown that was negated by, by a whistle that was poor officiating. I thought Troy honestly should have won that game yesterday, but they have the touchdown called back, and their quarterback really played terribly. Clemson is in some sort of trouble offensively. Uh, Troy went in there and shut down the running game. Deshaun Watson went 27 of 53, which obviously is not very good. Uh, Clemson's got to figure out whatever's wrong on offense. I, I can't mm-hmm. pinpoint it. It might be the offensive line, but this offensive team line. is in some offensive sort of trouble. Line. Yep, and that's what I told people. Remember when we talked about before they even played Auburn that they lost a couple linemen off this team? And it's not the same team from one year to the next. And it's just the way it is. It's just people, you want to believe that that Clemson is going to come back and be able to put up 50 a game, but that's not how it works in football. And Jason's been on hold, and I just looked at the studio. Jason, I'm sorry to leave you on hold so long, my friend. How are you today? I'm doing good. I just wanted to um, join the Scottish football discussion. Um, I got a couple of thoughts on FCS teams beating FBS teams, but we'll get to that later. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us. So, Northwestern lost to Illinois State 9 7. 9 7. Northwestern lost to Illinois oh, yeah, State. Yeah. Whatever you posted, 9 7. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I said this last week. If you're in Power Five and you lose to an FCS team 
and I'm your school's AD, you get your pink slips. Because there's no way <laughs> an FCS team should be the power five. Period. Well, I, I'm with you on that. And it's like Fitzgerald, they think he's the the second coming. But when do you think, Jason, it's time to cut loose of a coach that's underachieved year after year after year after year? Yeah, they made the Outback Bowl one year. Congratulations, Northwestern. But what have you done since then? That was like 10 years ago. What have you done? Yeah, they, they want to be Outback Bowl. They beat Stanford. But it's, it's like no, they you didn't said, what have ball. you done? What? No, they didn't win. They lost to Auburn in that game. Okay, yeah, the loss. So, it's um, Pat Fitzgerald, yeah, he pulls off great upset wins on for the team, but no Big Ten titles, um, no Big Ten division titles. So, why are you keeping this coach around? Well, the, the reason why that Northwestern isn't going to fire Fitzgerald uh, until they really, really, I mean, they need to massively melt down. Uh, I mean, if they make a bowl game this year because they're 6-6, six and six, uh, then he won't get fired, obviously. But if we're looking at a Northwestern team that I thought was going to be a lot better this year uh, than, than what they are right now, I figured uh, they, they you know, I thought they were going to lose Western Michigan, but I figured they'd win this game, finish somewhere around 7-5, 8-4. Uh, but if they, if they don't, I, I think it, they're going to think about it. They're going to give him another year because – and he played for them in, in the 90s when they made their run uh, to that Rose Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, you don't see it a lot nowadays where you get a coach that is kind of, you know, you can almost tell is going to be a lifer at a school. He doesn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Every time another team comes calling, he says, no, I love Northwestern. I'm staying here. So they're going to they're gonna reward him for his loyalty, and I believe they should. Um, I think he's a good coach for Northwestern. Look. You're never going to be better in Ohio State. You're never going to be better in Michigan. You're never going to be better in Michigan State. You're probably never going to be better in Wisconsin. Um, Nebraska hey, right now is, is a Navy just because Nebraska is in a different age as far as recruiting, and I think that's why they've gone through their struggles uh, because, let's face it, there's not a lot of football talent in, like, Nebraska in that area. Um, yeah. But Northwestern's going to reward Fitzgerald for his loyalty. He's going to have to have a couple bad years in a row before they do anything because he's a Northwestern guy, and he has shown that he keeps the, con- the program level because other than when he's coached there and when he's played there, Northwestern hasn't been anything. They've been a doormat. So, you know, the years that he's gotten Northwestern to play above their talent level are the years that they, you know, they do wonderful, and he's gotten a bunch of good years out of that. So I think you let Fitzgerald be, but you're right. Yesterday's loss was inexplicable. It was embarrassing. It, it, it definitely is not the way that Northwestern was hoping to start the year 0-2, Losing to a Mac team who keeps beating Big Ten teams, by the way, and uh, an FCS school. Update real quick: Seattle down ten to six to Miami. It would be nice now that I'm not going to cover to have Seattle lose at home the first game. That would be great. But Jason, what do you think about Nichols almost beating Georgia? There's another uh, instance of an FCS school coming in there. Ollie from One Chance, Last Chance, you had a good game, but Georgia looked pitiful. Yeah, um, you, you look at it, you, you um, said that with Clemson with the big game against Auburn. I think that's the same way that Georgia had. Um, big game against North Carolina week before and it came out flat and barely hold on, looking to win that ball game. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Those noon kickoffs, man, can, uh, can kill yeah, you. Yeah, noon kickoffs. 
organize the moon to kick off next week. Um, that should be interesting. But um, we could, after two weeks, it's easy to say that the SEC East is Tennessee's to lose. Uh, Tennessee is the clear favorite in that division. Um, I don't think Florida looked good against Kentucky, but it's Kentucky. You're not really going to put your marbles in that game. So, yeah. Hey, hey, Jason, just so you know, your Oregon Ducks are a three-point underdog next week in Nebraska. What are your thoughts on that one? Um, Nebraska is a really um, tough place to play. Um, Oregon, Oregon is massively under the radar this year, so three points is not it's not expected. Unexpected. So. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for uh, yeah. thanks for calling in, and and we'll look forward to your Oregon preview. Um, you know, it's funny thing, Jonathan Auburn went from the 13th team in the rushing in the SEC to the first after last night by putting up over 700 yards of offense on Arkansas State. What do you think about John Franklin last night coming in? How, how did he look in your mind running the football? Oh, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Franklin is uh, is definitely a, a, a good runner uh, for for the system that they have. I think uh, he he looked. Uh, okay, but at the same point in time, he didn't throw the ball once, and that's that's the question everybody has: is if he can actually develop uh, as a passer. Well, of course it is, that's but I mean, design. if he if he can't if if he doesn't get a chance to showcase he can throw the ball, then I'm going to believe that he's never going to be a quarterback under Gus Malzahn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but they I think they're they're hopefully up to the LSU game. I think at that. Time you'll see John Frank throw the football. Even the announcer said, "Why every time you see this guy he can come to think run?" And that's what what's going to surprise some people is the ability to throw the ball. I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. But uh, was some had an interesting conversation. Remember, I, I think I told you last week that some boosters, some of the high dollar people, talked to Malzahn and Jay Jacobs. Actually, was at this meeting last Sunday, and they told them. They said, hey, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen, cleaning it up. And, and you saw Malzahn, like you said, but White be the chief on the field, but they didn't run the office. You saw a lot more consistent. I'll ask you one question, Jonathan. Be honest. Had Sean White played the entire game last weekend against Clemson, what do you think would have, the result have been different? I do. I think the game would have would have been a lot different. Uh, I don't think Jeremy Johnson uh, should have been in there at all. And I think if you leave White in on those plays, um, that uh, you, you could have seen more cohesiveness with the offense, and it would have been a totally different ball game. Uh, whether Sean White makes mistakes, whether he doesn't, uh, if Sean White's in there, Auburn could have, I think, could have won that game uh, mm-hmm. just with how much better he looks than Jeremy Johnson. Yeah, and I would agree, and I agree, and. And they, even if you even take Franklin out, take him out just two, and if that was they're just saying it's a game design like last night where where it was Sean White to lose, you could tell he started getting in the rhythm. The guy got turned on, but don't be fooled and think that Sean White's a running quarter right now. So let's let's bring in Quinn to what he thinks about Auburn's performance last night over over Arkansas State. What, Quinn? 
It was good. And Sean White's not a running quarterback, but he can run. He ran over 10-plus times last night and did fine. No, he doesn't have that great of speed, but he can make a defense stink, and he can and he can run yeah. for five or six yards. Like I, I mean, like that was I against said, Arkansas like State. I, I mean, go ahead, Quinn. Go ahead. Like I said for weeks, he he's not a running quarterback, but he can run. And then why doesn't Gus let John Franklin the third throw the ball on a third and eight? We're playing Arkansas State. Let him throw. Because let he doesn't want to see what he, he can do. Because he doesn't want coordinators thinking he's going to throw right now in a meaningless game. I'm just telling you, that's why. I wouldn't have thrown him either. I wouldn't have thrown the ball one time with John Franklin last night. I would. Well, I, I would. I'm being honest with you. I, I would have thrown if I if I was can, the coach. I would have had him throw it. Well, I think early in the season you're going to start seeing more and more of him. But really, what matters is how he does against A&M and LSU in the next couple of weeks. That's going to be where Gus is going to have to pull some tricks out, maybe some things, some wrinkles, put some wrinkles in in the SEC play, and I think that's where you start seeing those wrinkles come in to really benefit. I don't think anybody's going to have an answer for Franklin if he can throw the football. And he doesn't have to throw yeah. it all over the place. He just has to, he just has to pick his, his spot and, and be accurate when he does throw it. Like if when he has the receiver wide open, we, we can't have a 20-yard overthrow. We have to have it right in their hands. And I think it'll really pick our team up having him been able to throw. But I wasn't wasting that last night. I wouldn't want anybody to see it. Yeah, and I'll and I'll say this: our our wide receivers can actually uh, catch the ball now. Cody Burns. Yep. I've actually seen. How about he, Damian he, Craig? Seen, I told you. I told you, Damian Craig can't develop anybody. And those wide receivers are catching the ball. So that's also yeah. very big that our wide receivers can actually catch the ball now. And Jonathan, Jonathan, you look at the Auburn receivers and everybody's catching the ball now. What changed, you think? Because, I mean, they, we got people coming out. There was a backup punter last year being able to come in and contribute offensively receiving. What, what did Cody Burns bring to the Auburn offense that Damian Craig put in your mind? Well, Damian Craig was never a receiver. I mean, I don't, I don't think he should have ever been a receiver's coach. And you know, he was never that at Florida State. <laughs> uh, that was always Lawrence Dossie's job, which don't even get me started on Lawrence Dossie. But I think, uh, I think you know, looking at it, it's just it's coaching, and I think it's talent. You know, you have guys who, uh, you know, maybe. Maybe catching the ball wasn't always an issue. It was more of focus, and uh, some of these coaches are getting these players more focused uh, on playing. But I, I really, to be honest with you, I, I don't know what the bugaboo was, but it does seem like that they have it fixed, and, and it's pretty nice to see if you're an Auburn fan. Yeah, well, I heard and, it from Cody Burns. What, Clint? I was watching something, and Cody Burns said that he's really been focusing on technique and stuff and the really fine points of being a wide receiver. So 
I think that's probably part of it. That's what it is. And I'll tell you one thing that impressed me last night, guys, was Cameron Petaway running the football for Auburn, having that back like we talked about earlier, Jonathan. That's what I like to see out of an offense is having multiple backs that can that can do it. And there's a couple more coming that you're about to start seeing, getting those sweeps, those speed sweeps and things coming when SEC play starts. But, again, this is not revealing that yet, and he's smart not to. But um, Quinn A&M's coming into Auburn this Saturday night into the jungle, and I think Auburn tears the cover off them, man. I really think this is a statement game, and it has to be. If Auburn loses this game, it could be a tough season, but I think they build off the momentum they're about to, to get by beating Texas A&M, a ranked team. Yeah, I hope so, but I don't I don't know if it'll be quite a blowout. I mean, I'd love it to be a blowout, but yeah, I think they can win and 17. A&M's and A&M's going to come in really confident. So, oh yeah. Robert, I, I think it's a, a good storm depending on where you look where you look right now and, and next week we also have Oklahoma hosting Ohio State, Jonathan and that's going to be one of the games to watch, and and I'll talk about another one in a minute. What, what's your first thoughts on Ohio State finally finally playing somebody, especially on the road, and, and how's it going to benefit Oklahoma already playing a tough matchup against Houston? So who do you give the edge to in this one? Well, Oklahoma's shown that uh, they're 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 definitely a tough team to play in Norman. Um, I, I think for Ohio State, it's obviously a huge test. This is a game that where it's a statement game for them. If they uh, if they take apart Oklahoma, I, I, I think everybody has them in the playoffs, uh, probably undefeated. Uh, whereas Oklahoma wins this game, it, it's, it's a whole new race. That means Oklahoma isn't dead yet. Oklahoma's got to win this game. Oklahoma loses this game. There's no way they make the playoffs. Their season's practically done for. Uh, you can win the Big 12 championship and go play uh, in one of the you know New Year's Six Bowls. But, um, you know, I, I, right now I, I give the edge to Ohio State just because they're playing so well. Um, you know, I mean, I, we haven't really seen anybody try to run on them yet, and I think that's going to be the big thing. If they can't stop to run, Oklahoma's going to have a big day. Well, I'm giving you some, some something on Florida State-Louisville that may surprise you. The line opened at Louisville was favored over Florida State. I don't know if that surprised you. <laughs> Florida State's a three-point. Florida State's a three-point favorite right now in this game, and uh, that's going to be a tough one. This Louisville offense. It looks it looks real good, but again, it hasn't played Florida State yet. But that, you have to be honest, be honest with me. Are you a little scared of that game? Uh, uh, I probably should be, but I'm not. Uh, this, this, I've heard a couple comparisons. This Louisville team, 2013 Maryland, which I don't know if anybody remembers 2013 Maryland. That team came in at Tallahassee and they were hot. That offense couldn't be stopped. It looked great, and then they got crushed. And everybody was like, well, what's wrong with Maryland? They're like, well, look at who they play. They didn't play nobody. They beat up on the Sisters of the Poor, went to Tallahassee, and got punched. Um, Louisville, everybody's like, oh, look what they did against Charlotte. In Charlotte, they're one of the ten worst teams in college football. No disrespect, but it's true. Uh, they played Syracuse, Charlotte. who's arguably the worst team in the ACC. I mean, that, no disrespect, but you're one of the worst teams in the ACC, and you have ugly uniforms. Those uniforms are hideous. Uh, so, you know, I'm not impressed by the fact that Louisville 
beat up on two lesser teams. Uh, you know, this is an offense that Florida State held at 21 points last year. Lamar Jackson threw over 300 yards and three touchdowns last year. He ran for 30. Okay, so if Florida State does the same thing they did last year, which is contain Lamar from running, they shut, we held their running game under 100 yards. You held their running game under 100 yards, and you won. Lamar's had huge day running in both these games. If you don't let him use his legs, he's not going to be as effective in the air. This is the best secondary he's going to see. This is the best defensive line he's going to see. I'm not worried about Louisville. Everybody's so worried about it, I'm not. The team's going to be up for this game. It's a noon kickoff, and I know noon kickoffs are funky. They're usually more funky for the home team is what we've seen. So I'm yeah, telling you right now, y'all, are. Florida State, that was a four-point swing in the line for a reason. Florida State's going to take care of some business. They may do it. And just I forgot to mention that Ohio State, Oklahoma opened up the one-point favorite. Now they're like a three-point dog to Ohio State. But, Quinn, let me go to you. Alabama, and let's talk about them yesterday. I watched the Alabama and Western Kentucky game. Don't know if you did, but I saw some offensive line questions uh, and very concerned that I saw. But now you're taking a freshman quarterback with you on the road to Oxford uh, for a 3.30 kickoff. Vegas opened up at an eight-and-a-half favorite, up to ten. Um, I don't know about that game, Quinn. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be funny, but I think Ole Miss could win it. And, uh, and it's because of the upfront experience of the Alabama offensive line and also, you throw in a freshman on the road. I wouldn't call Oxford a hostile environment, but when Alabama comes, it usually is. Because that's, how, that's their rival right now is Alabama. They, they beat them two years in a row. So, Quinn, what do you think about Ole Miss's chances of beating Alabama our next week? And I know we'll preview these games on Wednesday, but it's kind of an early preview. I give them about a 25% chance. I really – I think Alabama's going to go in there and dismantle them. Really, I do. I do. Mm, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's just I have – I just am not high on Ole Miss this year, and I think Alabama losing to them twice, I think they're going to come in there really pissed off, and I just think they're going to blow them out of the water. Jonathan, I mean – does that concern you, Alabama's offensive line? That I don't know if you watched it yesterday, but I saw I saw some problems on that offensive line, man. I'm honest with you. Well, I saw a lot of problems with Alabama yesterday offensively. Uh, the offensive line obviously had issues, uh, something that can be taken advantage of. The receivers had a hard time holding on to football. Some of the quarterbacks made mistakes. Uh, I think Al, you know, Nick Saban's sideline tirades and his. Um, being so tense in the in the post game conference and, and you know I, I loved how Saban reacted because they should have won that game by seventy points and they didn't because they made mistake after mistake after mistake. Uh, it shows good coaching, it shows a good te- a good temperature on your team. So going forward, looking at this, I expect some of those mistakes to be rectified. But that offensive line play is hard to fix in a week, especially when you're going up against an Ole Miss team whose defensive line is actually pretty darn good. You know, the only way that you're going to beat uh, Ole Miss is if you, can, if you can stop their offense, and that's what Florida State showed. If you can get them in the three and outs, because this is a three-true outcome offense, they turn it over, three and out, or they score. And if you get them to do three and outs, their defense is going to get tired because they don't have a lot of depth, especially along the defensive line. 
Uh, Eric Gross, I expect, or Gross, I expect to have a big game against Alabama. He's an undersized D tackle, but and he's got great jump off the ball. He's going to get in the backfield. It's going to be very interesting to see how Alabama's offensive line handles Ole Miss's defensive line. I think it's going to be tough I, on the road. I do, and you throw in the fact of a freshman quarterback, and he is good. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not sitting here trying to say that, that this kid's not good. We know he's good. We're not stupid. He wouldn't be in there. But I think he's in there, Jonathan, because of the offensive line woes that Saban sees in scrimmages and practice and the fact that, you know, the running game is not what it was. And I think having him back there kind of hides some of the issues on the offensive line and kind of covers up the, the running game. I mean, that's my analysis, and I think it's pretty spot on, Jonathan, that that's why we're seeing the freshman right now. It's not that he's outperforming everybody in practice. It's that he's the only one that can, can put a Band-Aid, kind of cover it up so people don't notice it right now. I notice it. I agree. I do think whenever you have offensive line issues, uh, teams will put in mobile quarterbacks and that can, uh, you know, kind of band-aid those problems, the fact that he can get away from guys. Uh, for Jalen Hurts, obviously he's, he's talented. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he handles playing in a hostile environment against uh, a good defense. Um, you know, this is a secondary that they should be able to take apart. Florida State uh, beat them up with a lot of underneath routes with Alabama. It's more of the big plays, especially with Calvin Ridley. Uh, so I imagine, you know, you have to bracket covered Ridley. There's no – this isn't Florida State where it's like they don't have one true number one. Even though they did a good job of taking away Rudolph for most of that game, Florida State number lot, has a true number one receiver like Alabama does in Ridley. So how they guard Ridley, maybe they uh, bracket him and try to see if everybody else can go man-to-man. Uh, but, you know, Alabama's got to be able to run the ball. They have to. Both Scarborough's going to have to have a big day. And, I, like we talked about this offensive line, I, very, very questionable. See, Quinn, it's not just about Ole Miss in this game. This is about Alabama. This is not just about Ole Miss. And, and that defense has looked good so far. But Chad Kelly made him look foolish last year. And uh, he's made a lot of teams look foolish at times. And I think Ole Miss sandbagged a little bit. I think Florida State, I think Ole Miss got up on Florida State and thought, hey, we got them. And they didn't. And then – they played kind of flat yesterday, knowing what's coming up. The Florida State game will mean nothing to Ole Miss if they beat Alabama. And everybody in the polls will forget about it, won't they, Jonathan? They're going to forget about that loss to Florida State if they beat Alabama and they're undefeated in the SEC conference. That's just my thought. Well, that's, that's usually how it goes. I mean, everybody's going to go back to, oh, wait, this Ole Miss team is uh, possibly the team we thought they would be. Uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting, though, because Ole Miss has to win that game. If they don't, their, their season is over. You don't lose the two playoff contenders and think you're you're still hanging around. We saw how that uh, fit Stanford and that we were in last year. You know, their last loss was obviously very untimely. Um, so I, I honestly believe Ole Miss is going to be up for this game. It's a home game. It's against a team they've beaten two years in a row. They know they can win this game. Um, so I'm I'm very I'm very intrigued by this. I'm I'm very excited for this game. Week three sets up very pretty. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. And and Quinn, Alabama's favored because they should be favored. I mean, they're Alabama. You know, yeah. You're not gonna put a team like Alabama an underdog to anybody. I mean, even though there's holes in there, I, I have faith in Alabama's coaches that they can 
they can fix some things and exploit, even though they have problems. They've disguised them, but they started coming through. USC quit the other day when it was 17-3, to or I think you would have seen it exposed a little bit more, Jonathan. When, you, when they quit like that and they beat you by 50, it's kind of, you know, it's hard to see anything exposed at that point because the team's not trying. Western Kentucky came in and – I don't know, and if I we we sit here next Sunday night and we talk about Alabama's two and one, it's going to be because their offensive line and their running game didn't get going. So I'm worried about the freshmen on the road. To be honest with you, I'm worried about that. If I'm an Alabama fan, every game you have to be worried if you're Alabama because that team you're playing is going to give you everything they've got, and that's. That's just the way it goes when you're the defending champion and you're a dynasty right now, like Alabama is. I mean, they're they're a dynasty for a reason. They're the best coach team. They've got the best players. So we'll yeah. see how that role, how it all shakes out, Quinn. I know you're a Bama homer too. You probably that's your third favorite team is Alabama. Heck, heck no. I I I just I just keep it honest. No matter if I dislike the team or like the team, I just well, I know, I know. I'm joking with you. Well, Seattle uh, won 12 to 10, it looks like. And all of a sudden, Jonathan, they figured out how to score all of a sudden and drive the field when they had to, right? <laughs> you knew how it worked out. Uh, I cannot stand the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll. I did, did y'all see anything that they did? They said they were going to do something to protest. Or Did y'all see anything on 9 11? Yeah, did they, they did. Do oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, Talk. They Talk interlock. About they interlock their arms. Wow. Oh, I I, I thought uh, honestly watching it, yeah, yeah, we've seen um, we've seen the the issues that the whole protest thing has brought about, and I will say I have a lot of family members that have served in the military that were very upset about the whole taking a knee uh, and sitting down during the anthem. Um, they believe that the anthem is something that you should stand for and pay attention to. Uh, so with Seattle, with today being 9-11 and the 15th anniversary of uh, Seattle linked arms and stood together, and that got a lot of positive uh, results. And, and the whole standing at linking arms is a sign of unity uh, more than anything. And I think that's what um, people were looking for. You know, because you have players and coaches of, you know, every – uh, different culture and background that you can imagine that this country offers. And um, for them to stand together and, and unite it and show that they're one a whole complete team it w- was nice. I, you know, it does, it does you have a little bit of a stink to it, though, because I know that the original agreement that they wanted was everybody take a knee together, and I heard that there were some players, especially some veteran players, who stood up and said, no bueno, this ain't happening. Um, and I think for that to have happened on 9-11, Seattle, the Seahawks as a franchise would have taken a big hit with a lot of people. Uh, this is an issue that's not going away anytime soon. I get updates on my phone from Bleacher Report and ESPN about who stood and who took a knee. I know Kenny Stills took a knee before the game, and then when he dropped a wide-open touchdown pass, everybody started getting on him about it. Maybe if you would stood, you would have cut the ball kind of a thing. Uh, so I, I think it's – unfortunately, it's going to be something that we have to keep watching looking forward. Um I believe, I wish it was a non-issue and that we wouldn't be looking at this, but it is what it is. Yeah, today's the 15th anniversary of of the towers going down, and man, that was a and it was a bad day 
for the United States. But again, like the United States does, they drew strength off of that, and and then all of a sudden, you know, we're better than we're better for it. But through the last 15 years, I, I really think we've become more divided as a nation. Especially, you can see that right now with the presidential election going on. You can see it with these idiots the way they want to disrespect the flag. Anybody that wants to disrespect the flag should go to another country, in my opinion. I mean, that's just that's just me. If you don't like where you're living, do something about it. Go somewhere else or or make, make an impact and change it, whatever you think you can do. But protesting it during a football game is not the way to, to do it, in my opinion. You're at a job to make money. You're there to play football. You're not there to, to lobby and politics and all that. You're there to – Catch the ball, throw the ball, defend the ball. That's what you do. And I think people, if you went to work tomorrow, Quinn, and started, you didn't turn on your computer for a protest, they would throw your ass out. They would fire you, right? Probably. Yeah, no, they would. And and that's what I'm saying, Jonathan, is you're at work. You may be an athlete. You may be you know, under the spotlight, but you're still at work. Am I missing something here? I mean, I think you're at work, and it's not the time to to do those things. Well, unfortunately, with the way our society is set up, uh, athletes are uh, role models for uh, our, you know, gener- our young generations. And, uh, they, you know, when, whenever there's what they believe needs to be a societal change in, in a positive way, at least, what they believe to be a positive way it kind of differs on the opinions uh, of everybody speaking on it, but they, they believe that they have a, a right to stand up and or sit down or whatever it is and, and, you know, say, Hey, this is, you know, this isn't right now. You know, do I always believe that? No. You know, the whole, we, I, you know, I dealt with it last night with a couple conversations I had and, and then at the end of the day, my whole, you know, one part of my feel was, you're an athlete making a lot of money. Doesn't matter what mm-hmm. race you are, what gender, whatever works there. You're an athlete making a lot of money. I don't want to hear about you being oppressed um, or a certain segment of the United States being oppressed because anybody from any of the cultures in uh, this country has a, uh, an equal shot of making a lot of money, whether you work uh, in Hollywood whether you were whether you are an athlete, whether you want to work in business, whether you want to be a doctor, whether you want to be a politician, uh, you know, there's really no uh, stopping anybody from doing anything in this country. Uh, and I think everybody needs yeah. to sit back, and remember that. And you're right, I do believe this country is more divided than it ever has been. Nine Eleven was a great unifying event, and now the country's completely well, divided. In this. Hmm? Well, I'm seeing white people. White people are out there using the N-word on social media. They're talking down to people like like they're better than any other race, and they're not. I see black people taking offense to it, which they should. You know, you sh- I mean, it's, it's just a bad time in this world right now that we're living in, that, that you have people that sit there and use the N-word every breath. They they think they're better. And, and you know what? funny thing is, if you're a Christian like I am, Jesus was, he wasn't white, he wasn't black, he wasn't, you know, it's not like, I think we just think if you're white, if you're a white person, you think you're above everybody. If you're a black person, maybe you think you are, but I think everybody needs to think that we're the same, and we are. We're we're one nation under God, 
and that's the way it should be. I mean, who cares about the color of your skin or how much money you make in a year? You, you don't mistreat people. And, I mean, sports is a chance for me to get away from all that junk, and now I'm having to see it there, too. That's the, that's the problem, you know, we're bringing it into sports. We can leave Donald Trump and Hillary and all this crap out of football. Let me watch football because I like football. Quinn, you don't watch the news because you don't want to hear about us negative junk. You like sports, right? So you don't want to hear about it when you're playing, when you're watching a game on football on TV, do you? Yeah, there, there's a reason. There's a reason why I don't watch the news, and there's a reason why I really only find out about this stuff on social media. I, I don't. More people need to focus on their own lives than worrying about today's issues and focus on bettering themselves and this world would be a better place. I I don't really read all the negative stuff, and if I see it, I just kind of skim past it. Why? Because I don't need to have myself mentally getting down when I should be more focusing on my life and making myself better, and then making myself better as a person will oh. translate to then maybe making a difference in the world. If everyone was yeah. more focused on themselves, then this world would be a lot better place than focusing on what everyone else is doing. Jonathan, that was well said right there by Quinn. That was that was that was in, that was good, Quinn. Um I agree. Think about yourself. Not I'm not talking about in a selfish way, but work on improving you as a person and being better to helping somebody else. Have you ever noticed when you help somebody, you feel better? Have you ever noticed that, Jonathan, when you give somebody something, it makes you feel better, and it makes that person feel better? That's what we need to be worried about, looking at people, widows and the poor and people that can't make any money and helping them out. That's what we need to be doing is is trying to find a way to do that. I don't know. I I agree. I mean, I um, have a cousin with cerebral palsy, and she's – Due to that, she's in a, a, a wheelchair permanently. Um, and and I, you know, one summer I uh, I spent, I worked at the camp that she used to go to um, as part of her way of being a part, uh, you know, being a part of something that you know usually she's not able to be. Um, and it's definitely an experience that opens your mind. And I, I think doing those kind of things, people have that realization of, God, it could be a lot worse off. You know, I, I could not be able to talk. I could not be able to feed myself. I could not be able to walk. Um, and and I, I think, you know, every, I've always made the joke that everybody should have to work in retail for six months. Um, you know, how some, some countries do, you have, to, you have to be in the military. Well, I've worked in retail, and the running joke in retail was everybody should have to work retail for six months. You realize you, you'd be better off if you just nicer to everybody, um, and, and I think, you know, everybody should at least once in their life spend time with with somebody who has a disability that prevents them from doing something and realize that, wow, you know, I, I have a chance to do this that they never got because of uh, uh, something that happened to them uh, physically uh, or mentally or whatever it was. Uh, and I think those are always experiences that just make you better as a person. Uh, and not in a condescending way. You don't want to, you know. A lot of people do it, and then they brag about it. And it's like, I, you know, I don't, I don't like people who brag about all the good things they've done because now they're just doing things because they want people to think they're a good person. When in all reality, they're not a good person. 
Um, you know, I mean, act genuinely be a good person, be a good human being, and you'll be better off. And the society as a whole will be better off if everybody was just good people. Well said there, guys. Well, we're going to cut it off tonight. It's been an hour and a half, and uh, we'll be back Wednesday night, probably about 7 p.m. Eastern time. We'll go at least an hour and a half, two hours, preview all these games. We've got a lot of work to do, Jonathan, to, to preview everything we're about to see coming up. Oh, always. You know, um, at this time of the year, so it's getting really fun, obviously, Everybody's like, oh, week two was such a lull. And you're like, well, you need a second to take a breather in between week one and week three because those look to be pretty fun. Week four is looking, shaping up nice. So is week five. I mean, it's going to be a really fun college football season. The NFL is always a good time. Uh, you know, I mean, let's just let's get at it. I, I love this. Me too. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. We'll be back Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Everybody have a safe September 11th. Enjoy the games today and tonight, and we'll see you Wednesday. God bless. Take care.